0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to a new episode of Convincing Creatives. Today, we're joined by Michelle Tracy Berger. Michelle is a professor, a writer, and a creativity coach. And she's talked about a number of things. And she has an awesome writing workshop coming up. And she talks a lot about creativity, mindset, the power of positive self-talk, and how to keep going as a writer, which I feel like, obviously, as a creative person. Uh, someone who writes for movies, uh, that's hard to do sometimes. It's hard to give yourself the motivation as well as to be kind to yourself as a writer, as an author, uh, as a creative individual, because sometimes we get in our own way. And Michelle and I talk a lot about that in the podcast is how to really get out of your own way, how to move the inner critic from somewhere counterproductive into somewhere productive in your creative process. And I think that's so crucial. Michelle also talks a lot about managing work-life balance and how to submit work in a way that's productive and doesn't rely too much on validation from others, but in a way that really grows your own career. Michelle is also a professor at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and she also has several new books out over the last few years that you should absolutely check out. She loves to write uh, psychological horror, and she explores a lot of really awesome concepts and themes throughout her work. I'm going to add a quick plug before we jump into the podcast. It's from my new movie called Panda Barrett. Panda Barrett is a wacky movie that we shot in North Carolina. It follows Camus Leonardo, who is a local rapper who makes his movie debut in the film, and he has an imaginary panda bear following him around everywhere he goes. It's a wild movie, and you can watch it on Tubi TV for free or rent it on Amazon Video. Anyways, back to the podcast. I really appreciate you listening, and here we are. We'll jump right into the full episode with Michelle. little bit about yourself, what you're working on and kind of what gave you the interest to become a storyteller?
1: Mm, Love that question. So happy to be here. So um, I I can, I'll start in a couple of different places and hopefully we'll tie all the threads together. So I'm a a professor, I'm a creativity coach, I'm a creative writer. Uh, I write poetry, creative nonfiction, but my true love is speculative fiction. And particularly under that, Um, I would say pretty much everything I write has an element of horror to it. Um, so I write, you know, urban fantasy, magical realism, some sci-fi, but I think in terms of my, my journey as a writer and why I'm so passionate about helping other writers, um, really overcome some of the resistance to the blank page is that I, I like to tell people, um, I was kind of metaphorically in the basement. So for many, many years, um, I didn't, I would like read writing books and I would go to craft workshops, but I didn't really share my work and I didn't really have a literary community. And so by the time I turned probably around 40, um, I would say if I hadn't met one of my writing teachers, I probably would have stopped writing because for many people, by the time they hit their late thirties, early forties, especially if they are a professional in other areas it becomes harder and harder to sustain a creative life without um you know some sense of success and so after i met my writing teacher got with a writing community um really things just began to happen and so like i would say i went from almost no publications to being pretty well published within a very short amount of time. Um, So I think it's really important to have creative community and also to um, think about all the ways we stop ourselves as writers. And so I'm currently working on um, a novel that will be set in the Great Dismal Swamp. Okay. It's a horror novel. <laughs> nice.
0: Well, I I love the the horror genre, and and I love you know sci-fi. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a filmmaker. That's my art of choice, and for me, the the balance of surrealism is so interesting to me these days. I feel like there's so much you can do with something that seems so normal on the surface, but there's just many inner workings and layers in the story that kind of weave the web of interest, if you will. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to chat with you more about that, uh, how we stop ourselves, because I think you mentioned that, and that's a very good point, because I think a lot of times we can get in our own way as creative individuals. And I can't even think of the amount of, you know, stories that have popped in my head where, you know, a few seconds later, I'll think, ah, uh, do I need to do that? That's kind of dumb. And, you know, sometimes that's warranted, because, you know, not every idea is, you know, a million dollar idea. But, you know, I do think sometimes uh, we kind of put ourselves in our own way. Can you talk about that and maybe ways you get around that?
1: Absolutely. So uh, for most of us as creative professionals, we typically don't have a lot of personal models. I mean, some of us might be lucky that we grew up with a father who, or a mother or family member who was involved in the arts. But for most of us, we don't have that. So we don't have that touch. And I think um, all of the other challenges that we see as artists, make it so that we tend to you know, internalize a lot of that. So I'm a big believer that we have to look at our uh, negative self-talk and I'll just share something that really changed my life. Um, So negative self-talk is not just, oh, I think this paragraph is not working or um, the script isn't working. It's like, I'm not working, right? Like it's like, Mm -hmm. there's something sort of wrong with me. and I think this gets exacerbated by different our different life experiences. Sometimes if you are working in a profession where or trying to break into a creative profession where no one looks like you or has had your life story, that can also be a barrier. But so around 20. 2015, 2016, um, I think at the end of 2015, I met a sci-fi writer, North Carolina writer, James Maxey. And he was doing this amazing challenge getting ready to go into 2016. He was like, I'm going to write a million words during the year, which he's a prolific writer, but you know, that was a stretch for him. Um, And so I was thinking, I was thinking, okay, what, what, you know, what do I need? At that time, I was already a, a blogger. I was doing, um, I was sort of on the outward level doing everything that a writer should be doing. I was submitting work, um, had a creative community, but I, I felt like I didn't have a lot of self-kindness and I didn't have a lot of um, kind of inner support for the work I was trying to do. And so I decided to take on an affirmation challenge. And so every day for the year of 2016, I put up an affirmation and an affirmation is, we can think of them as um, thought substitutes, um, pattern interrupters, which is how Denise Duffield-Thomas talks about them, which I think is really helpful. Um, Most writers I know, I I will say in in my work, and I've worked with a lot of writers and creative professionals, um, no matter what their level of success, no no creative person I know um, doesn't have to manage some of that. And so, For the year, um, one of the things that taught me, so I did it without commentary, mostly I would just write the affirmation and people responded and resonated. But what it taught me is that, you know, you know, the sense of inner permission giving is really, really powerful and that small efforts over time are quite cumulative And not only did this resonate with my audience, but it resonated with me. I wrote, I would say um, I submitted more that year. I was a happier writer. And also um, I was getting published. I I was writing in genres that I didn't usually write in. So I I really think that cultivating, it's not just like, I'm not saying positivity in a way that's uncritical, but really trying to get at what does your level of self-talk look like and where does that stop you and where can you give yourself some permission and support to kind of lean into more of what you want
0: right yeah no i think that's so crucial because there's that balance like you mentioned with positivity because i think especially nowadays there's there's you know good positivity but there's also like kind of what i like to call useless positivity which is like you know, just do it, make it happen, which is great, but that doesn't really like get underneath the surface of like, how do you do that? What are the the tools that you use daily? And I, and I like what you said about the affirmations um, and the positive self-talk, because I mean, Lord knows that is something we can all <laughs> use. I mean, I, I, yeah, we're, we're so, I, I am very critical on myself as a artist. And I think that, you know, kind of comes with the territory, but that has been something I have really tried to work on uh, especially over the last year with the pandemic and you know we just all spent so much more time in our head and looking at our processes and how we're doing what we're doing why we're doing what we're doing and i think it kind of for me got me off the hamster wheel a little bit so i yes. looked at the wheel and i said oh why am i doing this this way so
1: yes yes you know. and and if i can um just just follow up on that yeah. too what you're saying evan um so what the research shows so there's some really good psychological research um, in terms of kind of affirmations or kind of positive self-talk. And and what the research shows is that it's what's most helpful. So saying something positive about yourself in a particular domain can be useful, but what's more helpful for people is to go to a neutral level. So it's not like I'm going to be a New York Times bestseller, Mm. right? Because that's something out of my control. But it's also to say, um, I have the energy to write today, mm-hmm. right? So it's not, it's not hyper-inflating. Um, sometimes we, we might say something a little bit more grandiose, but really it's coming to that neutral, kind place that they show that works. And I was just going to say something too about you mentioned inner critics. Inner critics have both, um, you know, a, a, an, a, they can have a personal component, they can have a cultural component, and, but inner critics are, have in our psyche really have set themselves up to protect us right Mm. so protect us from shame from failure and as artists as you're saying we have to we have to manage risk so it's not that we we don't want that evaluative mind we just don't want it usually early in the incubating or the early creating process right so the inner critic can we can work with that critic to give us kind of feedback but usually the inner critic wants to intervene at that earlier space. Does that make sense? Does that?
0: A hundred percent. And what's funny is in uh, filmmaking, that like writing process and that planning process, that's like the the pre-production, that incubation stage, if you will. And I actually find that sometimes that inner critic comes out too early. And really, yes. that inner critic works well for me in my editing stage at yes. the very end. And, and I actually kind of have negotiated um, you know, to myself, I, where I actually kind of enjoy that editing, because I'm just really yes. getting very, you know, technical and really, you know, looking at things that way. But in order to do that well, you need a wide canvas to work from, to edit down from, you know, to whittle down, you know, if you will. And and I think that's so well said, because, uh, you know, I, I, do you have strategies for like, maybe helping yourself, you uh, be creative in that early process in that early stage because i think obviously that's where your ideas come from but sometimes how do you not uh you know nuke all the ideas before they even get started if you will
1: yeah so a couple of things i think depending on um to me being a creative person is also understanding your inner uh, emotional landscape and doing a little bit of self-reflective work so for example, um, an inner critic exercise. So, if someone is always kind of besieged by really critical and toxic thoughts that keep them from doing the work, so some of it you can do a very s- simple exercise. You sit down and you know, using your imagination, you have a piece of paper, a timer, um, and a pen, and you you actually want to invite the inner critic in, mm. and you ask the inner critic, "What are your concerns and complaints?" And you just kind of take notes and you know, listen and not interrupt because the you know, the inner critic, if we think of it in a, a kind of psychological space, it, it's, it's been with you for a while. Yeah. So <clears throat> you do that and then you note all that and then you sort of say in your mind and kind of hold this imaginative space, um, thank you for protecting me in these ways, but I'm ready to move forward. Another thing that's really helpful is to keep a fear journal. So when you're coming to do... You know, whether it's the blank page or if you're a collage artist or whatever, before you start writing to or, or creating to have kind of a place where you're just noting what the fears are. So you're, you're mm-hmm. kind of noting them because usually what happens is we the fears come up and we stop doing whatever we're doing. So if you can separate yourself from that and just hold that in a place um, that can be quite helpful. And, um, that comes from, uh, writer Daisy Hernandez, who's a memoir writer. Um, she talks about keeping a fear journal and I've done that at different times and work with my clients on that. So, so whatever we can do to, to create, um, a kind of container for when things arise, that can be helpful.
0: Yeah. No, I think what you said about thanking the inner critic in a way i feel like that's actually major because so often we we think oh that's a bad thing or you know that's something that is annoying to me as a creative and, and it can be but i think when it's misplaced as you just said i think that's actually a very uh interesting way to look at it because i think so often that is, like you said, it's a shield. It's saying, well, we're being critical because that last project you did got rejected from this you know, writing workshop or this festival or this, this or that, that publisher. And so then you have this sort of defense response. And so I think kind of disarming that and saying, "You know, hey, I appreciate you for looking out for me. However, that's not needed right now. We'll put you somewhere. I think that's major. And I, Absolutely. And I think, yeah, I mean, just hearing that actually helps me a lot. Oh, good.
1: Yeah. oh yeah I mean yeah. we you know and there's I think understanding it's just a part of our you know our armature as creative yeah. people right and and that's also I've heard you talk to some of your other guests too about um you know moving through fear and and yeah. kind of confronting this work uh as we kind of move through it and I think it it, it changes as you know over the course of your creative careers because yeah. when you're first starting out Everything is new and you don't you don't right. really have a sense of, you know, where, who you are, you know, what your voice is, how people are going to respond. But then the challenge is actually, as you know, when you have several films under your yeah. belt or you have creative projects. So then people are like, Evan, why don't you do this thing or, you know, yeah. if, if you did X, Y and Z, it would, you know, whatever. So yeah. that's a different kind. It, it, it arises in us different challenges, I think, depending yes. on where we are in our career.
0: A thousand percent. Yeah, I think, (laughs) I think that is major because so often, like you said, when you've done several projects, you've established yourself and it no longer is a question of technically, can I do this, uh, creatively? Do I know how to compose a shot? Do I know how to edit? Do I know how to, you know, write three act structure? It's like, you can do all those things. I'm not saying, you know, I'm the best at any of them, but like on a just proficiency level, you can do those things. Then the question comes, what are you actually doing with them? and i think that's where you invite the critic you invite all the you know what's going to what's going to sell what's going to be marketable you know capitalism enters the conversation and so then there's so much going on there and, and you know how do you how do you also like balance that because i know you're you're doing a whole workshop about you know submitting for writers right now and i'm i'm very curious about that because you know i think rejection can definitely teach us a lot as a creative and i think it can teach us you know, it's okay that, you know, your work's not for everyone. I honestly don't really think any piece of art should be just, you know, universally, um, I I won't say accessible because I want everyone to access art, but I mean, I don't think it has Mm -hmm. to be for everyone because, you know, sometimes uh, I just need to watch a comedy movie when I'm feeling happy in that exact moment. Maybe I don't need to go watch a, you know, super serious gritty drama, but then there's other moments of my life where, you know if i'm feeling kind of down actually in a weird way that drama is a bit of catharsis and so then i can watch something like that so i think you you meet people where they're at at different phases in life um what do you kind of uh make of all that if you will where you kind of come to things yeah. at different times and yeah
1: yeah well so i'll say i'm very uh excited about the um the power of mindset for writers workshop i'm yeah. going to do with the North Carolina Writers Network and i'm going to Cover some of the things we're talking about. Uh-huh. Um, also, just going back to that positive self-talk or, or affirmations, um, reminding people that um, we want to we want to create no resistance to mm-hmm. our creativity, right? So, how we go about navigating some of the the particularly the um, commerce success space. Um, And that's complicated so i have an upcoming workshop that i'm working on around charting your path to publication and really being a savvy submitter and i don't know how this works as much in filmmaking maybe a little bit from the script writing Mm because people enter scripts in the contest but for a lot of writers um we there's so many barriers to getting our work submitted some of them are external some of them are internal so there's like taking the time to incubate the work to edit the work to vet the work and then finding the venues for your work and then um navigating the response Mm. right because that's part of the issue of for some for some of us we can get one rejection about a piece that we really care about and that we stop sending out other work does that make sense 100 so yeah. so so some of it is also i try to support people to understand you're building a relationship with editors and yes some editors they just bought a story that was like yours um they don't like the story or whatever mm. um but there are going to be editors who are like i don't like that but do you have anything else and can you send me something so i try to get people in the mindset of both you know, what's going to be, you're building relationships over time, Mm. even when you're getting rejected. And also, I really try to emphasize the kind of other piece of that is that editors need content, right? So all the literary journals, speculative fiction journals, online things, they all need content. So I try to get writers thinking about I am the content provider. And ideally, I um, have a flow to keep getting my work out there, you know, right. assuming that it's been vetted and it's as strong as you can make it. Right. So trying to think a little bit more about how do we stay in the game? And I'll just share, um, if I can share just a quick yeah. story about this. So one thing that changed my mind about submitting work, um, I was in my writing teacher's uh, workshop a long time ago, and she said, oh, you know, writers are, you know, every writer should have uh, aspire to 100 rejections. And Evan, so I was sitting there very feeling very smug. because so I was like, oh, I've been trying to get work submitted for a long time. And, yeah. you know, this is probably like in 2011 or something. I was like, I surely I have earned 100 rejections. Yeah. I went back through my files because um, I had files from when people still mailed you rejections. And then I went through my emails and I had nowhere near 100 rejections. I had nowhere near that. And after that point, I started really mm. trying to double my submission rate. Yeah. So, so I think, so, so anyway, that was a long answer to your question, but I think one of the things that I I'm excited to work with writers on is understanding that sort of arc of from mm. incubation all the way to managing the submission process and yeah. not getting so hung up in rejection, right? Because yeah. our job is to provide as much quantity to keep things going, right? Assuming the quality is there, our job is to keep things in the flow. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. No, I think that's major because uh, for myself, you know, and and this kind of leads to the next question Mm. I was going to ask. I've restructured a lot of my writing habits during the pandemic. And, you know, I before was very free form. And weirdly enough, Uh, the unstructured nature of the last year plus has actually led me to crave a little bit of structure in my writing process just because it's something I can control. And so, you know, I've I've said, you know, I'm going to try to write, you know, this much or, you know, just, you know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes, not trying to make it some grand thing because before I would really wait for inspiration to hit me and Mm -hmm. that's dangerous Mm -hmm. because (laughs) then two months go by and you haven't wrote, a word. And then, you know, you suddenly are walking down the street and then, you know, I'm sitting there writing manically for like four hours. And, you know, that can be fun when you're chasing the adrenaline of it. But at the same time, I don't feel it's super sustainable uh, on the long term side of things. So I've tried to get into the habits and, you know, I'm not the best. Some days I'll take off. I'll be honest, but um, okay. you know um I've, yeah. I've tried to, you know, just slowly but surely find what works for me. And it's and for me, I've found that these short bursts, where you don't have to hype them up into something grand uh, seem to work really well. Because before you know it, 15 minutes a day, after like two or three months, that's a story, that's a script, that's a book, you know? And and it doesn't have to be done. It just has to be, you know, that first draft. Um, Walk me through maybe, what what do you do? So like, let's say later today, you have an idea for a new project. Uh, How do you start that process? Get the ball rolling.
1: So I just have to. I just really want to anchor for your audience what you said because that was so um, powerful. Um, I think we writers and creative people uh, we go to we go to um, online seminars or you know work with writing teachers and we get sometimes we get this fixed idea of like it has to be like this. I mm. think creative people have to figure out what their own process is, but they have to also understand um, their tricks, right? Like the things that you know that they say they're gonna do, but they really don't do, right? So for some, people can be successful navigating any set of strategies that you just talked about. So I, um, I think for beginning writers to cultivate that kind of um, habit and momentum, I do believe that a, cl- a daily practice, even if it's short, kind of ha- can help people with the rhythm, right? Like saying subconsciously, it says to yourself, this is important, I'm making time for it. But then once you move past that, I think um, that there's momentum, if not daily action that you're and really it's like you're keeping your project in mind. So whether that's, you know, you write a couple of hours on the weekend and maybe once a day at lunch, but that you're keeping that project because we I I really believe we have to be creatively monogamous to those big projects. Mm -hmm. Right. And we have to hold that energy And that attention and that focus for big projects. Yeah. So, so, but I think um, I've seen writers and creative people be very successful along a range of um, practices. So I don't want people to say, "Oh my goodness, I I have to like write every day." But I do think when you're starting out, having that momentum is is important. So for me, you know, one of my affirmations that you know, good ideas are always coming to me. Right. So I, um. I try to have a lot of places where I can capture those ideas. So, um, you know, post-it notes, you know, on my phone, dictation, on my computer, my notes app. Um, You know, I keep index cards in my purse. So I make it really easy. So I think that's the other thing. Um, To make it easy to capture those good ideas, right? It kind of also sends a kind of message to your subconscious, like, okay, Evan wants more of this, so let's mm. get, let's give yeah, him some more. Yeah. So um, I'm also a morning, I typically tend to be a morning writer. Mm. I like getting up early. I like setting the the intention. So for me, it's like a little bit of brainwave music, a candle, um, a little bit of ritual. I'm not mm-hmm. precious about it. Like I don't yeah, think anyone yeah. should be precious about it. right? But it sort of sets the tone. Yeah. And then um, I, uh, depending on the project, I'm either... I can do time-based, which can be really helpful for people, or um, pages-based or word count, right? I think you need kind of one of those anchors. And for, for some people, it's like, okay, 500 words, and they're done. You know, maybe they'll get more later on, but they kind of have a place. I'm a big believer in stopping and starting, because what you were saying, too, about the, um, the four-hour manic or, you know, binge writing, yeah. that, that can feel great, but yeah. then, right, that's not so sustainable, Um, And I usually don't get to do evening writing, but I also want to acknowledge there are people who just, Mm -hmm. you know, are ready when they come home from work or whatever to make that transition. They can get, you know, an hour and a half block of time to write.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, like you said, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's just you have to know your own mind. You have to know your own schedule. Um, You know, if you're working a, a job or if you've got responsibilities, you know, you have to factor all that into play. Um, and I think you're right. It's just about finding what excites you and finding what, uh, you know, is sustainable in your own life, because I think that's the thing, what works for one person may not be a one-to-one translation, but maybe there's an element of it you can take. And so I try to do that a lot in my own writing, um, in terms of like, just simply like the exciting part of writing like what what is it about writing like when it's when you're in the flow like you know you're, you're in the zone what is it that really excites you that you just are like this is why i'm doing it
1: oh my goodness that's such a great question i just for me it's some of it is uh i can <laughs> i can go to the food line i live in pittsburgh mm-hmm. north carolina i can go to food line and meet someone and they tell me their name and for whatever reason I'm like that's a great name and I want to I just get a character download and then I go and write and so I um some people start with plot or they see uh, an image for me it's usually character and I love um I love when I can when I when I'm in the flow and I'm like either this is going to really freak people out because it's so creepy. <laughs> yeah. And I just get super excited about that or as well as kind of character development. Yeah. But there's, you don't under, always understand the work you're creating, right? Yeah. But there's something about it taking you away from everything
0: else. It, it's sort of like dreaming while you're awake in a way because I think yes. sometimes you're yes. not aware of where it's going. You're just sort of in it. And I think there's a, um, you know, certainly outlining is, is crucial. I'm not saying you don't know where a story is going, but we sometimes, when we're in it, we're tinkering, we're figuring things out, we're experiencing the story, maybe yes. as the character or from a certain, you know, POV. And, and I find that it, it's such an empathy exercise sometimes. And that's what I enjoy about mm. writing is mm. just kind of getting to be in a different headspace in a different world um just to you know kind of experience something slightly different and i think that's what's exciting about world building is you get to do that uh, over a grand scale um what do do you feel like though maybe is a a challenge with writing whether it's process or just you know distribution or anything like that that uh, you see people facing these days
1: well one of the reasons why i wanted to put together this mindset workshop is um it's probably because writers and creatives generally are now we are um marketers we're social media Mm -hmm. we have to be social media influencers we have to watch um you know depending on who you're reading the decline of publishing or the the movement of publishing now we are now we're learning about nfts and digital economy so creative people have a much wider um scope in terms of thinking about not the not just the craft, and the craft is obviously, as you know, all encompassing, but really then how do you move your work uh, to audiences? How do you, you know, work in this new environment? And that causes people a lot of anxiety, right? That's That can be very stressful. And also the time management of that. So for me, it's not, I mean, I can say that, um, you know, uh, endings can be difficult and I'm not necessarily as plot driven so I have to really work at that in terms of the craft level but I think it's really all of the other pieces and I'm someone who loves social media um and yeah. I, I, yeah. I I love I love uh, supporting community literary community and creating community however um you know all of the pieces that are now on our plates it it's a lot to manage right um and and really author and I'm sure this is tr- true for you as a filmmaker and writer you're kind of like a solo business and a solo entrepreneur in many ways and that's not something maybe you got training but that's not something most of us get into and know like oh actually I need to know about this
0: yeah no that is something that uh when I first got interested in you know creativity and art and writing and film and all of that I, I never once thought about it and then once I really got into it and made stuff I realized ah that's how the yes. people in the world actually find it and that's yes. major too and yes. you know that that's another thing i sometimes think about early in the process is mm. you know mm. will people find it will there be an audience uh, is you know what yeah. i'm writing or creating interesting enough to be marketable whatever that means and so yeah there's a bunch of factors that come to us through social media and like you said being your own business i think that's a great way to look at it Um, Do you you feel like there is a balancing act where some of that is obviously useful, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I can speak for myself is Mm. I I try not to stifle the ideas too much because Uh um, with my latest movie, Panda Bear, it's about a rapper who manifests this imaginary panda in a mascot costume. And when I first had that idea, oh my I thought. Goodness, I totally
1: love it. I, I didn't know when I was yeah. reading the description, I didn't quite know what it was about. So I'm glad that you said that. And I, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I love this. I, totally
0: <laughs> I need, I need to send you the movie. It, it's <laughs> it's wild. It is, it is wild.
1: I grew um, up in, in New York City in the yeah. Bronx at a time of particularly the emergence of rap and hip hop. So anyway. So
0: <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it's, it's awesome. It stars a, a local rapper from Durham who makes his oh acting goodness. debut. And, and he is amazing um but yeah there's so much cool stuff i think going on in the movie i'm a little biased but like when i first had that idea and your
1: smile like your your face is just like lighting things up so
0: (laughs) yeah well and and this is that's i guess kind of the dot i'm trying to connect is because when i first had the idea my inner critic said that's ridiculous people are going to think that's dumb that's you know that's not going to work you know how are you going to make that you know interesting That sounds like a gimmick blah 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 and so then i had to do the work and i had to like you said find those things that brought the smile to my face and then once it all came together then i was like wow i don't even need to be thinking about marketing and this and that and and what's actually funny is that has performed some of the best Mm -hmm. because the panda in the costume is just so weird and people scroll on social media and they're like what's that And, you know, in a way that's performed a little better. But what it really is, is the same type of work I've been making, uh, you know, stories about mental health and, you know, drama and things like that. But it's just wrapped in this quirky little bow. And I actually think sometimes that's an interesting way to go about getting a certain idea into the world that at first maybe isn't quite as accessible because, you know, let's be honest, life is hard enough. Sometimes we don't want to watch another movie that's about, you know, depression and things like that. But at the same time, you know, people see the panda and it kind of disarms them a little bit. And then you invite them in and they say, Oh, well, maybe I will put my bag down and stay for a minute. And so I think that's kind of interesting. Do you have ways and work that you're doing where you kind of see that kind of duality in it?
1: I just love that story. I mean I think, you know, one of the beautiful things about this podcast, too, is like creative people um just seeing the way work comes about right so that your that your story is a great illustration of that um i try to say to myself that the 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 maker is usually the worst judge of whether something is going to work right like because because we're you know we our job is just Mm -hmm. to get the work out but um but in terms of what you're asking incongruous ideas um, tend to really enliven work, right? So taking something like rap and Panda and mental health, um, that kind of works as it hasn't been seen before, but, it, but I think that allowing yourself to play, right, is, is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, I really do try to say, I'm gonna be the, I'm gonna, probably the worst judge of this. And also this is something I think is important in terms of the marketing, just generally marketing side, we're not um, we're not our audience right so what mm-hmm. what readers and viewers find interesting um, you, there's not always there's there's differences right so yes we're creating the work but we have no idea really who is going to resonate and we have to remember people want and like different things than, than necessarily we do in terms of our work so I try to remember that and and with my own work um, so I had, I have a, I have a novella that came out. It was re-released in 2020 and it's basically about how a mysterious virus is seemingly transmitted through an everyday hair care product that is marketed toward women of color. And I started that project a long time ago. um, And as I was writing it, actually, I pulled it out of a 400,000 word novel. That was like, thank goodness I pulled that out. Someone said, you know, maybe you should work on the heart of it. And so the heart of it was Mm -hmm. like, these four women in New York City in the 1990s, um, and and so, you know, part of me thought, oh, you know, I mean, I love these women, Evan. Like, I love the journey they go on. I love it's set in New York City. I love the mm-hmm. 1990s. I love talking about hair because hair is cultural. It's political. It's 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 um, there's a lot of levels, right? And everyone does their hair. Men, women, you know, people of all different backgrounds, and we all use hair products, yeah. but. Um, it took a lot to kind of keep the focus to, to say, um, like someone's going to be interested in this because even in sci-fi there wasn't, there weren't a lot of books on like adornment and hair and like hair products gone wrong. Yeah. And I have to say, um, so it was, it was purchased in 2017 by a MicroPress, did very well, but then the MicroPress um, went out of business yeah. or decided to get out of the publishing business. And then it got picked up by Paul Staff Books and and it was released right before the pandemic and and what's been so striking to me about that work is that you know it resonates with people i mean separate because it's like a virus right (laughs) but you know it resonates with you know all different kinds of people it it um i mean i think it's it's i'm really proud of the work so so you know i think it's really important to embrace those over-the-top strange ideas and let them, you know, play it out, right? I always say, let's um, audition a couple of stories. Like if I'm trying to decide between storylines, let me just audition them. Let me write a couple of paragraphs or synopsis and see how far I can go and see where that energy is. So when you were talking about um, your film, just, you know, the energy that I could see in your face and that and that and that's an embodied thing. Like, so when we're writing or creating, it's like, even if no one seems to understand it, like uh, trusting that feeling in the body. Do you know what I
0: mean? Uh, No, no, a thousand percent. It's just sort of like the old saying, you go with your gut, you you feel something and you're like, okay, this is pulling me in this direction, whether it's a story or just collaborating with someone or just any artistic endeavor. Um, I love that. And I actually love what you said about your story taking on a new meaning. Obviously it's about a virus and then the pandemic comes along and obviously there's no way any of us could have known that, but you know, sometimes our stories do take on new meaning over time, whether it's a cultural event that just happens to connect to it, or if it's just something else. Like, uh, we had our Panda Barrett premiere at the Beaufort Film Festival about two weeks ago and we finally got to show it live. And oh, it came wonderful. out, you know, last year during the pandemic, so we never got to see it with an audience until, you know, two oh. weeks ago. So it was it was great because you know we finally got to just talk to people after a screening and kind of engage with an audience live, and that was so special. Uh, and what so many people mm-hmm. said was this movie really just connects so differently because of everything we've all gone through over the last year. And I think the, you know, the mental mm-hmm. health component we made it yeah. in 2019. But, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously mental health is always something that's ongoing, but I think even more so over the last year. And again, it's the same thing. It's like we didn't even know. We wouldn't have had a clue what would have happened. And so, you know, can you speak to that where maybe mm. sometimes you you just do have to trust your gut for one reason or another? Because, you know, I think the inner critic can stop things before they start. But so often it's like, does it even need to, you know?
1: Well, I think for me, um, part of it is really getting clear on what. um my former writing teacher and who's now a friend talks about like finding your emotional territory so the the novella it's actually premised on um there's some real life stuff that happened in the 1990s there was a hair product that was marketed as an all-natural relaxer and um basically they had like models in the commercial, like the infomercial, I remember like dipping their fingers in it and saying, it's so good you can eat. And then what happened is that there was a class action lawsuit about a year and a half later uh. showing that it had actually higher amounts of chemicals. There was nothing natural, uh. <laughs> all natural. And it was and it mostly affected women of color. And so at the time, I mean I was sort of thinking about What are the push pull effects? You know, how do we as consumers think that we're using something safe? Mm. What are the push pull effects around like beauty and hair care? And but also, you know, I'm in my early 50s and I remember HIV AIDS and I remember learning about HIV pre internet, right? Mm. So, um, and just sort of thinking about also conspiracy theory, like I play in the in Renew You, I play with conspiracy theories, but my territory is really mother-daughter relationships, women of color um, relationships, thriller, horror, mm-hmm. so all of that um, is in there. And so some of it, I think, is because you were saying, too, some of your previous projects probably had aspects of mental health and mm-hmm. these other pieces. Um, so it's it's knowing, to me, the trust is knowing that, that some of that work is going to come up in different ways yeah. um, and being open, open to that. And also seeing... You know, this is where I think having trusted creative community folks as you're developing pieces, you should have people around you if you if you give them a little synopsis who say, oh, my goodness, I want to know more. That sounds crazy, yeah. but I, I want I want to see how you do it. Like not people who are like not the dream stompers. People yeah. are like, oh, my God, how are you going to sell that? Or yeah. like, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah. just you don't need the dream killers or the dream stompers, <laughs>
0: I love that. No, you gotta, you gotta keep a circle that encourages you. Yes. I love that. Um, well to, to kind of land the plane on the podcast, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, what, what is just some general advice you could give to whether convince yourself to be creative or convince others playing with the title of the podcast a little bit here, Mm -hmm. but, um, what, what do you kind of do with that? How do you convince yourself Mm -hmm. to do it at the end of the day?
1: one of the one of the things that always helps me um, it's a little sticky note i keep on my desk and or on my computer and uh, it says projects are very long moods are very short and that's by that quote is by barbara sheer who's um, wrote a series of personal transformation books in the 1980s and literally um, i keep that on my desk and my computer to remind myself that even if I'm quote unquote not in the mood if I just touch the work Mm -hmm. right um or literally pick up the work and walk around with it Mm -hmm. I'm in connection with it and it's probably going to override whatever temporary mood or feeling I have and that that personally has helped me um and I think the other the other thing that has helped me is to remind myself that there are seven billion people on the planet, and when we're feeling like no one is going to enjoy our work or like our work, you kind of logically say, that's highly unlikely.
0: Mm.
1: Now, will a billion people love your work? Maybe, maybe not. But there's probably at least one person who's going to be touched by your work, so go toward that energy, right? At least in terms of the cre- creating the work. Yeah. Right? Like remember your work is going to touch a- if it if it has the power to touch at least one person, your role as an artist is to deliver that work.
0: I love that. The delivering of the work. That's all you have to do. I think the simpler just keeping it simple. Like, I think so often we keep it complex. We tell ourselves we need to create the next, we need to create the best, we need to create the most impactful. And I think it's just, we, we need to look at ourselves as people just saying, here you go. Like, it doesn't have to be anything more, it doesn't have to be anything less, you know? Yes,
1: and at least, yeah, at least in, in that early arc of creation, yeah. right? Then then once it's, once it's established, then you get all of your, sure. you know, yeah, you yeah. put it on your other thinking cap But, but sometimes we can, and maybe this is not, not true for you, but sometimes, you know, we can get so bummed out or so Mm -hmm. discouraged that it really stops us from doing the work. And so those are some things that I I try to remind myself.
0: No, no, I think that's, that's beautifully put. I think that just delivering the work to an audience. And like you said, if it impacts someone and statistically the odds are on our side, it will. (laughs) and i think just kind of having that faith is important in our own work and why we're doing it um well michelle thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate it this was an awesome conversation uh i definitely feel more inspired so (laughs) that's amazing oh Um,
1: thank you i i'm so so honored to be a guest with you today and, and also very inspired
0: thank you no i appreciate it and i think uh A lot of people will get stuff out of this just because, you know, we all can be critical of ourselves, but I think also we need to be kinder. And I think that's, that's so major. Um, Where can folks keep up with your work if they want to read some of your stories or check out what you're doing? Where can they keep up with you?
1: So I'm going to put a plug in for a couple of um, uh, podcasts, actually. Uh, Some of my short fiction has appeared recently on the podcast, Black Women Are Scary, which is a really cool podcast, and also Night Light. So they can find some of my short fiction that was made into an audio drama there, which was awesome. Um, please come and play with me at on Twitter, Michelle with one L, um, Burger B-E-R-G-E-R, and or come check out my um, The Practice of Creativity blog. I have a ton of uh, resources there for writers and um, yeah, just come hang out with me. Love to support you and see what you're, what you're up to. Cause I know if you're following Evan, you, you know, you're up to some good things.
0: <laughs> well, definitely check out the blog. I have checked that <laughs> out and that is full of really awesome yeah. tips out there. So. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, Hey, thank you again, Michelle. I appreciate it. And I appreciate everyone listening. We have video episodes on YouTube, audio episodes, wherever you get your podcasts, and we appreciate you tuning in. Stay tuned for the next one. Take care.